Greetings from believers in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, gotcha on that one. Uh, you're like, there's believers in Las Vegas? Um, yeah, there's a lot of us. And, um, uh, you know, what I, what I say a lot about people from Alabama is um, you don't go to Las Vegas. But if you did, you wouldn't tell anybody, okay? Um, people from Alabama think... They don't think, I guess, that Las Vegas is hell, but they definitely believe that you can smell it from there, right? Um, But we are super excited to um, just join in with uh, you guys. I've been watching all of the messages online. I was able to be here last night uh, with BJ and uh, seeing him as an old friend. And um, man, just super excited. Zach, thank you for the honor um, of being able to stand here. And I appreciate you and love you. Um, and, uh, you know, just memories of Zach for me are nothing really that's super funny or super, I'm not going to embarrass him. Uh, memories for me for Zach was uh, a high school kid who um, just wanted to make a difference in his school, just wanted to make a difference in the lives of his friends, of his teammates. Um, there would be often times, um, a couple of times, this is before the popularity of cell phones, where I'd be, and you know, we'd be in our house watching TV, kids already be in bed, and I hear a knock on the door, and there's Zach standing there and confessing something he's done, you know. Um, so, um, but um, I was a, I've been in ministry almost 30 years now. 16 of those years were as a student pastor. So thank you guys for being here. You make me feel comfortable, all right? So... Um, You guys make me feel comfortable, all right? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever just killed the mood? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like you just said something and it was like, right? Um, A few years ago, uh, one of the guys on my staff was engaged and they were going to be married in a year. And I was just talking to him. We were talking together and he said, this is what I want to do for our honeymoon. I was like, all right, where are you going to go? He said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to surprise my fiance with where we're going to go on the honeymoon. She's going to wake up the night after our wedding and the morning after our wedding. And uh, that morning, I'm going to tell her this is where we're going and we're going to go. Like, I don't know about you guys and what your life looks like, but that sounds like a terrible idea, right? And I told him that. Like, my wife is a planner. In fact, I think my wife enjoys planning the trip as much as she does experiencing what happens on the trip. Um, And here he is cutting her out of the entire planning process. But he's super excited about it and everything's going good. And um, so about a year later after the conversation, they're about two weeks before their wedding and we're standing around talking and, and with the couple and she's talking about how excited she is about the wedding and, and the honeymoon. Now, here's the thing. I haven't heard another word from this guy. He's on my staff. I haven't heard another word from him that he was moving forward with this surprise. I did know that he had already booked a trip to Cancun for their honeymoon. So she's excited and she's talking about the wedding and the honeymoon. And then I say, oh, you're gonna love Cancun. She said, what? And he was staring daggers at me. I had absolutely killed the mood. I had killed everything that he had set up and what was going on. I know God has done some amazing things in our lives this week through these last several nights during this revival. And from Zach starting us off Sunday morning with believing that God can do the impossible to David Jett, my mentor in ministry, coming here and pointing us to placing the utmost most important on the word of God. Kyle then following that, challenging us to share the good news of God's love to those who are far from God, to last night, BJ challenging us that a revived church is a church that prays. So at the risk tonight of completely killing the mood of the revival, I really sense that God wants us to look at one thing tonight, the revival killer. What's the thing 
that will kill the mood of the revival of the things that God is stirring up and reviving in your life? What is the thing that's out there in our world that we all deal with? What is out there that's going to kill revival in our lives? Well, the first thing I want us to look at is not what that revival killer is just yet, but who the revival killer is. Number one, Satan orchestrates the revival killer. Now, if you don't know by now, know this, that humanity has an enemy. And whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not, Satan hates every person on the planet. And he especially hates those who've begun a relationship with God through Jesus. John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan is the thief. And what he wants to do is he wants to kill everything that you have experienced this week. He wants to steal all the joy and change that the Holy Spirit has set in motion in your life this week. He wants to destroy any memory that you will have of all that God has done in your life this week. But Jesus He wants you to be affected by what he's done this week. The thing that's interesting about John 10.10 is most people only quote the first half of the verse. But the second half of the verse is the hope. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is a life that is fully surrendered to him. The only way that you and I can have abundant life is to have a life that is fully surrendered in our relationship with God that's experiencing daily intimacy with him. So the question tonight is how do we have a life like that? How can we have that? Well, simply put, it means to live your life worshiping him over anything else. Having an abundant relationship with God. You know what I love about that verse, by the way? Just a quick commercial, not in my notes, all right? Um, you know what I love about that verse? For, all, for a long time, for like the first 20 years of me being a believer, I thought that that verse right there at the very end that Jesus came to give you life abundantly, I thought that meant eternally. It doesn't. If he meant eternally, he would have said eternally. He means abundantly. You know what that means? Rich, satisfying, while you're on the earth. That's what he wants us to experience. So having an abundant relationship with God while we're walking on this earth is choosing to worship him above worshiping anything else in your life. I like to say it like this. Worshiping God is a lifestyle, not just a once per week event. Worshiping God is a lifestyle not just a once per week event. Living a lifestyle of worship is the greatest way to live a fully satisfied, rich, abundant life in your relationship with God on this earth. So we know that Satan is the author, the orchestrator of the revival killer, but what is the revival killer? What can kill revival in your life? Here it is on the screen for you. The revival killer is idol worship. It's idol worship. And before you dismiss me tonight, and before you say, oh, whew, I'm glad. I'm glad he said something like that. I was worried that was actually going to happen to me. I, I don't have a golden calf. I, I don't have an altar built in my house where we just worship all of these gods that we put on these altars. Whew, all right, well, talk to these other people. You don't have to talk to me. No, 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 no. Lean in. Lean in tonight. Because although you may think you don't worship idols, you may. And the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life tonight. And especially, he wants to do that beginning tomorrow morning. And he wants to do that on through the weekend by resurfacing these idols that he tempts you to worship all the time. And the quicker we realize that he is at work trying to resurface these things the less pain we'll put ourselves in chasing after the things of this world that will never truly satisfy us. 
That's how the enemy lies. He tries to say, hey, all of these things, they will satisfy you more than having a relationship with God. And Jesus says, no, 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 he's a liar. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm the one who gives you abundant life, rich and satisfying life on this earth, a life that compares with no other life. But we chase after these things. Jeremiah puts it this way, chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first thing. They turned their back on a relationship with the only one who can give abundant life. And what's the other thing they did? They hewed out, they dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What Jeremiah is saying here is that when we choose to forego the relationship with the fountain of life, we turn our back on the fountain of life that God has made available to him through a relationship with him, that God wants to give us all satisfaction and he wants us to truly be satisfied in him. When we've gone and turned our backs to that and begun to dig up our own methods and our own ways of trying to satisfy ourselves. Jeremiah says those holes that we dig, those cisterns, those pots that we put in that hole to try to collect water, they're broken. And they don't hold water like we think they hold water. And they're empty. And so we abandon the fountain of living water and we try to go after these things that we're digging up for ourselves that the world has to offer that we're trying to satisfy us. So how do we combat idol worship in our lives? How do we combat idol worship in our lives? Well, number one is to live a lifestyle of worship. How do you live a lifestyle of worship? couple of things. A, to live a lifestyle of worship, I worship God in, in response to his love for me. He said, Jeff, clear that up, right? Romans 1, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, sorry, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, this verse changes everything in regards to the American definition of worship. Let's break it down. He says, dear brothers and sisters, Paul here is talking to believers, those who have begun a relationship with God through Jesus. He says, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, this makes no sense if God was impersonal. If God didn't care about a relationship with you, this offering our bodies as a living sacrifice makes no sense. But the reason why we are encouraged to give our lives back to God is because of what else Paul says here, by the mercies of God, or literally because of all that he has done for you. That's the key. One of my life verses, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. We've got it up here for you. It says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Now, I put in brackets right there the word first because that word first is implied in the Greek. So read that with me. Now, you don't have to read it out loud. That's embarrassing. All right. Um, this is real love. Not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, some of us, when we begin a relationship with God, you know what we think? We think, oh, for the first time, here I go, God, for the first time, I'm mustering up the courage. God, I'm going to tell you, I love you. God's like, no, that's not what you say to me. He said, because I started it first. What you need to say to me is, I love you too. My kids and I, growing up, my kids would come up to me and they'd say, I love you, daddy. And I'd say, oh, I love you too. And then they would, my kids are super competitive. And they would go, I love you more. <laughs> and I would be, okay, let's on now, right? I love you most. And they're like, no, daddy, no, no, no. I love you mostest. Like, that's not even a word, but here we are, right? We're in a battle. 
But you know what? I won every single time with this one statement. I loved you first. And I tell them, because you in your mom's womb. Before you even knew I existed, I loved you. Before I even saw your face, I loved you. I remember watching an elbow go across your mom's tummy. And I remember how excited I was. I remember talking to you right there in the womb before you even knew I existed. I loved you. When you came out of your mom and I laid eyes on you, I loved you first. Before you even had a chance to ever love me, I loved you first. And that is what God is saying to you tonight. I loved you first. So much so that I sent my one and only son, Jesus, to die and pay the penalty for your sins. A penalty you should have paid, a penalty I should have paid, but it's one that God said, no, 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 I'm gonna take care of that. And I'm gonna have my son pay that penalty for you on your behalf. And Jesus died a gruesome death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, forever defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And he's saying, I did all that because I loved you first. Maybe tonight there are some of you that are like, man, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe tonight you didn't even know the passionate pursuit that God has for you, that he loved you first by sending his one and only son 2,000 years before you popped out on this earth. He loved you first and he wants a relationship with you. And tonight you can begin one. Tonight can be your day. So how should we respond to this kind of love by saying, I love you too. Here's my life. I surrender to you. We call it the ABCs of beginning a relationship with God. It's not simple. Oh, sorry, it's not easy, but it's simple. ABCs, admit you're a sinner. If you don't have a relationship with God, admit you're a sinner. A, admit. B, believe that God loves you so much he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins, dying on the cross, rose again three days later, and that he first loved you. Believe that. And C is always the hardest one, is to confess him as the Lord of your life. We don't understand what lordship means a lot of times, so I like to say the boss of our life. Admit, believe, confess. It's as simple as the ABCs to begin a relationship with him. And you can have that. You can start that tonight. We can help you with that. That's what worship is. That's how it starts. When we confess him as Lord, when we confess him as the boss of our lives, offering ourselves to Jesus saying, God, I'm a terrible boss of myself. I need you to be the boss. I'm trashing my agenda for my life. I'm embracing your agenda for my life. That's what it means to worship. That's what it means to begin a lifestyle of worship, saying to him, God, thank you for first loving me. Here's my life. We have to understand to be true worshipers of God is that worship is about every aspect of our lives, though. You see, here's the thing. We often define worship as a song that we sing on Sundays or that we hear on the radio. That is a little sliver of the whole worship pie. What you're doing right now is you're worshiping him by hearing the word. What we did earlier when we got in clusters, we worshiped him by praying together. Now we sang songs, we sang songs to him. We worshiped him through the singing of songs, but the songs are a small sliver of the whole worship pie. It involves everything. Worship is a lifestyle. So we live a lifestyle of worship. I worship God in response to his love for me and be To live a lifestyle of worship, I must worship God in everything that I do. 
We're going to settle in. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to settle in there for these next several points. But Colossians 3 verse 1 says it this way. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This text helps us further know how we can live a lifestyle of worship. Breaks it down in three ways. Look at verse one and two. The first way is that we're challenged to set our sights and our thoughts on Jesus and not on the things of this earth. Verse one and two, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So often we can be distracted by the things on earth, can't we? Jobs, movies, music, politics, people, celebrities, friends, and even family But when we set our sights on Jesus, all of what I just mentioned begins to fall in perspective because our sights and our thoughts are on him. So we can live a lifestyle of worship by setting our sights and thoughts on Jesus, not on things of the earth. And number two, when we enter into a relationship with God, our lives are now hidden with Jesus in God. Colossians 3, 3 says it this way, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a big theological word. I'm going to use it, then I'm going to explain it. It's a word called imputed righteousness. What it means is that whenever we begin a relationship with God through Jesus, we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. So when God the Father looks on us, he looks at all people on the earth He sees people who are either covered by the righteousness of Jesus or he sees people who are not covered by the righteousness of Jesus. We sang the song earlier, I am who you say I am. He calls those of us who have a relationship with God through Jesus righteous because we have the imputed, the imparted. We have the righteousness of Jesus that covers us. And when God sees us, he no longer sees us in our sin. He sees Jesus. But if we don't have a relationship with God, all he can see is us in our sin. So when Paul says in verse 3, For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what he means. You're covered by the righteousness of Jesus and you are hidden in Christ. And that, understanding that, living in that, knowing that you can have that when you begin a relationship with God is how we can live This lifestyle of worship. Number three, realizing that Jesus is our life. Look at verse four. When Christ, listen, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can I just tell you something that's going to rock some of your worlds? Okay, ready? Okay, I'm going to explain this too. All right. Jesus should never be number one on your priority list. Told you, Adrakia. Because Jesus should never be on your priority list. What he says here is he says, Jesus is your life. When we begin a relationship with God through Jesus, he's now our life. Everything that happens in our life is funneled through him. You see, as believers, sometimes you're like, well, I'm going to make Jesus number one on my priority list. You know what can happen to your priority list? He drops down to four or five pretty quick, doesn't he? But when everything's funneled through that, through our relationship with him, when he is our life, then he is our life at our work. He is our life 
in our family. He is our life at a ball game. He is our life at the grocery store. He is our life when you're driving. He's your life. And everything funnels through him in our life. Whatever we do, we do it for him. Drop down Colossians 3, go down to verse 17. And whatever you do, Paul says, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, that's really easy for us to read and hear, but man, that is so hard to do, isn't it? To do everything for his glory. Everywhere we turn, Everywhere we turn, we are tempted to worship other things, created things. Paul says in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served, listen, the creature, (coughs) the creator, the created things, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me give you a clarifying statement. Worshiping idols is offering your body, your time, your energy, your devotion to anything that is created by human hands and made in the image of created things rather than the creator himself. All right. I'm about to crawl up in your lap and point my finger, okay? Don't slap it out of the way, all right? But let's talk about the created things that we struggle with. Ever been to a college football game? I remember as a kid going to a college football game, we're playing the Arkansas Razorbacks. I can say that right now, because if I said this in Arkansas with BJ's church, I'd probably have people calling the hogs right there, right? But they call the hogs. And as Alabama and Auburn fans in this room, you've all seen how annoying that is when they call the hogs, right? And they all go, hey, I got a picture of it. Got a picture of it right here, all right? Look at the hands raised. I had a friend of mine that played wide receiver for the University of Alabama. And he said he literally had to repent every time he ran out of the tunnel because he began to realize that he was an object of worship for the 100,000 fans that were in the stadium. He said, well, I don't like college football. That's all right. Taylor Swift... She's on this new Eras tour. It's helped move her into billionaire status. This tour is over a three-hour concert with 44 songs in her set. She does all that because she loves and honors her fans. But in our country, we don't know what to do with that. And so we turn it into worship. Turn it into worship. Many things like sports teams and celebrities can be the things that can kill revival in your life. You can have a great Sunday through Wednesday, but on Saturday when that game comes on, all of a sudden the enemy begins to kill revival and you begin to forget. You lose all memory of what happened throughout the week because now you're all up in the game and you're all up in your worship of that idol. You say, Jeff, get off of football. Okay, I will. How about our identity? Our identity might be one of the biggest idols that that are worshiped today. We have abandoned who we are in Christ and placed our identity in other things, whether it be how many people follow us in social media, how many likes we get, whether it be our position at work 
Am I at an elevated position? Am I in a place where I can continue to grow and elevate in position at work? And you're constantly thinking about this person fighting for that position. Your identity is in that. Or your identity is in your abilities or your skills. That was huge for me. When I was in high school, I played basketball and I walked the hallways with all my basketball stuff on, being on the varsity team and all those kind of things. That was my identity in my abilities and my skills or our identity in the achievements that we are after. Many of us are, have our identity wrapped up in the wrong thing. Maybe it's money, material things. Our culture has bowed down to the idol of money and possessions for generations. Don't be like, yeah, that younger generation. No, no, no. For generations. We've completely missed that God owns it all. And anytime uh, Pastor Zach stands up and starts talking about money, you start getting, ah, can't do that. You know why? You know why you get all grumpy whenever any pastor talks about money? Because he's rubbing an idol. We've completely missed that God owns it all. And we strive to get more so we can have more, all at the expense of any kind of, of gratitude or thanksgiving towards God. Speaking of Pastor Zach, can I just tell you this? He's a terrible God. Your entire staff, terrible gods. Don't place them on a pedestal. Don't worship them. Job, status, job used to be a means to an end. Now job dissatisfaction is at an all-time high. Could it be because we've elevated what we do to who we are? Physical appearance. I mean, you're going to have to look very far to see an advertisement that's trying to fix your physical appearance, Right? to make us look better, to make us be younger, maybe to even look like your favorite celebrity. All these things are common. Why? Because many of us worship our physical appearance. We spend hours in the gym, thousands of dollars on products, constantly thinking about what other people may be thinking about us and our physical appearance. And we worship our physical form. I'm not saying that's bad. Going to the gym is a good thing. You should definitely shower. Those are good things. But we ought to be careful to not let those good things be the ultimate thing that we're striving after because then it turns into an idol that we worship. And we have a world screaming at us that we need their product. And we have to remind ourselves of what is true as we stand in the light of our relationship with God and we live with him how about comfort? Got a lot of people worship comfort. There's an endless list of products promising to simplify and add comfort to your life. Nothing makes me more furious than when technology doesn't work. I can't stand it. We've made our lives much easier, much more comfortable, more than any other time in history. Tasks that used to take all day, now only take minutes. Many mental tasks are now automated, and that's a good thing sometimes. But our pursuit in life should not be comfort alone. The call that Jesus gives his followers is a, is a, is a calling. And it's not primarily a calling of comfort. Most of the time, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, it's not comfortable. I'll get off of comfort for you. Here's the next one. Our country. Oh, Jeff, don't go there. The United States of America does not equal Savior. Jesus equals Savior. Phones, technology, smartphone addiction is increasingly becoming a worrying trend. 
especially true for Gen Z, millennial generations, but it's not confined just to their generation. My, my in-laws are in their 70s. We'll be sitting in the living room and I look over at my in-laws and both of them are just on their phones, just scrolling. I look over at my kids and both of them are on their phones, just scrolling. I got Gen Z and baby boomers and they're all on their phones. So don't be shaking your finger at those kids. And our phones are fine, but it's gotten out of hand. Even sitting still for a few minutes, we can't help but reach to look at our phones. And at the heart of this problem isn't our phones, it's not social media, it's not any form of technology. The heart of the problem is that we place value on it. When our lives revolve around how many likes we get and what our following looks like, or if we can't sit in silence for five minutes without refreshing our newsfeed, we might have an idol. It's a recipe for idol worship. Last one, family and children. I was hesitant to include this one, but let me be clear. Your spouse and your children are a blessing from God. The Bible is blatantly clear on that. But we have the tendency to worship the gifts rather than the giver. Let me be clear once again, I'm certainly not saying we should rid ourselves of our family. That'd be wrong on a totally different end of the spectrum. But what I am saying is that we should place our families in their proper place. Important, but not as important as our relationship with God. And ultimately, if we have a relationship with God, that's what's best for them anyway. Those are just a few examples. So how do we combat idol worship in our lives? Let's close it up. Number one, live a lifestyle of worship. Number two, focus on our creator and not on created things. Focus on our creator and not on created things. Romans 1, 21 to 25, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, listen, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That pretty much says it all right there. We need to focus our worship on God and not on any other created thing. And thirdly, understand that we were created to worship. We were created to glorify God. He wants us to glorify him. But I want you to hear me. You were created to worship. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to choose to worship God. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 29:2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We, in our, in our statements of I love you too, this is us saying to God, God, I love you too. I'm ascribing to you worship that you and you alone are worthy of. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We were all created with the desire to worship, but what we worship, God allows you and me to choose. Pastor David Jett said this on Sunday night. We have this opportunity to choose because God is loving and he did not create robots. You are going to worship someone or something. It's how you were created. But God desires you to worship him. I mean, even the first two commandments revolve around that, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You must not make for yourself an idol or a graven image and worship that over me. That's the first two of the 10 commandments. This further helps us realize we're created to worship. And because it's the first two of the 10 commandments, God's saying, hey, choose me.
I'm going to close with talking to all the men in the room. Because men, we were created as very visual creatures. And oftentimes, without us really even thinking about it, we worship created things because we can see them and that matters to us. Women too, but especially men. And I believe in the church today, we have men who are choosing to worship other things and it's leading whole families to go worship other things. We see this happen all the time around the world, but none more right now among the men of this world than with sports. Now, I know we've talked about college football and those kind of things, and my fandom is not in college football, or I would have already bragged about how the team that I root for is our beat Alabama this year, the University of Texas. But my sport is baseball, and my team is the Texas Rangers who won the World Series last week, all right? So I went to that, I went to my first Texas Rangers game in 1981. And I've been suffering ever since. <laughs> but the Rangers finally won this past week. It was amazing. And it's okay to be a fan of sports, but one thing that I've noticed over the past few years is that I believe Satan is subtly turning our attention. He is turning us being a fan of a team into being a worshiper of a team. Now, I said over the past few years, I've been noticing this and I was made aware of it through th three things that I experienced, okay? Now, this is going to cause you to judge me and it just is what it is. Um, three things that I've experienced, okay? Um, I, I've been on a mission trip. Now, we have a partnership with a church in London that we, our church partners with. And so uh, November 30th, um, here in a couple of weeks, three weeks, um, I'm going to be leading a team back to London. It'll be my fourth trip in the last five years of going to London and, and being there and serving that beautiful city and those beautiful people. And I love the city of London and what God's doing there. And so um, I do a mission trip every year to London. And so that made me start watching, paying a little bit more attention to what they call football, right? What we call soccer. There are three things, my mission trip to London and two TV shows that I'm debating on what they're saying right now because I literally think if I say them, I may get stones thrown at me, but we'll see. I don't know, should I? I don't know, I don't know, dang it. All right, I'm not. Two TV shows, all right? In the United Kingdom, there were many great awakenings and revivals throughout the 1700s and the 1800s. Churches were established, they grew tremendously. Men like George Whitfield preached to thousands in town after town throughout England in the 1700s as people were giving their lives to Jesus. Two brothers named John and Charles Wesley preached revival services and saw thousands of people from the UK give their lives to Jesus. William Booth was hailed as the prophet of the poor in the 1800s in England and was the co-founder of the Salvation Army, which at that time was a Christian church, but it was known for how it served the poor. Charles Spurgeon was known as the prince of preachers in England in the 1800s and preached to thousands every single week in his church in London. But then something happened. In the late 1800s, revival in the UK stopped. People began leaving the churches. Now, when I go to London, one of the things that we do is we take our team on what's called a Christian heritage tour. You know what we do? That Christian heritage tour walks into all the old empty churches that have been there since those days that no longer have people attending them. 
They're just ornate and fascinating and beautiful. And the person that's giving us the, the, the tour talks about all the great things that God did as these churches were built in the 17 and 1800s and they're empty now. I love that city. And I desire to see God do a tremendous work there. But I'm telling you this, the people of London have a worship problem. They worship. The women worship. The children worship. The men really worship. They don't worship God. They do this. begin to look at that through the eyes of worshipers. When I first saw that video, I started to cry. You know what's interesting? Those two teams, that's Crystal Palace and Liverpool. Charles Spurgeon died in 1891. In the late 1800s, towards the turn of the early 1900s, Christianity began to die in the UK. You know what it all coincides with? The rise of football in the UK. Crystal Palace FC was founded in 1857. Liverpool FC was founded in 1892 and on and on and on. And the more that you do research on all these teams that are in the UK, that these men are following and singing. I mean, you talk about making your own song, right? Creating a, they created their own songs and turned them into worship. And at all, the, the fall of revival in the UK all coincided with the rise of worship of idols. As the band comes up, our response tonight is simply this. Who or what are you worshiping? What is the enemy going to resurface in your life to tempt you to worship so he can kill all the stuff that this week has done, all that God has wanted to do, all that he stirred up. What is he going to rise up to tempt you to worship? Is it your grandkids? Is it your job? Is it your children? Is it a team? What is it? We're going to get to more of that in just a minute, but I do want to say this. We're going to have some people up here that would love to talk to you. If you want today, tonight, a rich and satisfying, abundant life on this earth through a relationship with God through Jesus, we're going to have some people here that can help you get there. They'll probably lead you through the ABCs, admit, believe, confess, right? Maybe you need to give your life to God and begin a relationship with God today for the very first time. I don't know. But if you do have a relationship with God, I know this, the Holy Spirit, Zach and I prayed this before. The reality is this, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you brought the Holy Spirit in this room with you because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. So he's here, but you know what happens? The enemy puts blinders on our eyes to help us to refuse to see his activity because he's active right now. 
In fact, when I said that, who or what are you worshiping? Whatever you felt is the Holy Spirit moving and convicting tonight. When I was in college, I was dating a girl and I was gonna marry her. I thought she was perfect for me. I thought I was perfect for her. And then in September of my sophomore year in college, she broke my heart, broke up with me. And I'm telling you, I, I, I felt hard for this girl and I didn't know what to do. And I was at a gathering at a church like this and the speaker that was speaking, there's a bunch of college students in the room, the speaker that was speaking said, hey, what idols are you worshiping? And I mean, I'm telling you, as soon as that question came out, the Holy Spirit said her name. That's who I was worshiping. And he said something that I'm gonna say tonight because it changed my life. He said, I'd love for you to pretend that this, these steps are the feet of Jesus. And I just invite you to come and lay that idol down at the feet of Jesus. And I'm telling you, he couldn't get out of his mouth fast enough before I came out and I came all the way down and I put that girl's name on the steps of the Great Hills Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. You know what? I think her name's still on those steps because I turned around and walked away and I never worshiped that girl again. What idols do you need to lay down tonight? That you can say to God, God, this is an idol. I'm tempted to worship it. I know it can kill the revival that you want to start in my heart. God, I'm bringing it to you and I'm putting it down at your feet. What idol tonight do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus? So Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us into places of truth and honesty tonight. We ask you to lead us into places of response tonight. And Holy Spirit, we need you to step in. And God, whatever idol that you're already convicting on us to do, God, I pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to slip out and to come down and to lay these idols at your feet. God, for those who don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that tonight they would, they would come here and talk to the people that are standing here, the prayer team that are standing here that would love to help them begin a relationship with God. So Holy Spirit, you are in charge. You do what you wanna do. Help us as we lay our idols at your feet. Move in our lives now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.